From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of God for the people of God. If you've been here over these last several weeks, you know we have been following this story, which is telling us about God as leading the Hebrew people out of slavery. God is using servants, Moses and Aaron, to lead these people to speak to them, to help shape and form them into a people that will be a blessed people, that truly will be the people of God that will bless the nations of people who are living in covenant with each other and in covenant with God under the authority of God. These stories have told us how they were slaves in Egypt under a ruthless Pharaoh when God called Moses and sent him to Egypt to contend with this Pharaoh. Moses did so, but the Pharaoh was not inclined to let the people go. There are these series of ten plagues till finally the Pharaoh decides You should go. You may get out of here right now. But before very long, Moses is leading the people and the Pharaoh is thinking about them being gone and begins to question his own judgment. He decides he made a bad decision and he sends his armies after them. The Hebrew people are in fear of their very lives. They think they're going to be killed, massacred before they ever get out of Egypt. But God protects them and makes a way for them, and they escape through the water into the wilderness. But rather than celebrating, they begin to complain. Even though God has protected them, they begin to complain that they're hungry. Maybe they should go back to Egypt. But through Moses, God provides for them provides special food in the morning and in the evening, and even provides for these people who have been worked as slaves a day of rest every week. And then in our story last week, they are privileged to see the glory of the Lord or the light or experience the presence of the Lord their God right there with them. 
If you heard that sermon, you remember I said they saw it, as the text said, when they looked out into the wilderness. And I suggested that looking into the wilderness was looking into their future, the place where God was trying to lead them. And that's why they could see the glory or the light or experience the presence of God in their midst. I've also been telling you stories about Francis of Assisi. I think his spiritual journey parallels that of these people who God is leading on this Exodus journey. Francis was also a man on a journey from being far away from God to growing ever nearer to God. Francis was on a journey of offering his life over to God, and he goes deeper and deeper into this relationship with God until he finally realizes that he needs to give his entire life, his whole life to God, and count on God to provide for him. I gave you this prayer that's attributed to Francis because it summarizes, in a way, these themes we've been working with. Just as these Exodus people and Francis are on a journey, the prayer takes us on a journey that leads us to a place that we might pray, Lord, make me an instrument of yours. I've invited you to use this prayer for the last 40 some days opening your heart and mind and life to god's will offering your life over to god surrendering control over to god trying to grow deeper and deeper in terms of trusting god to lead us to life and life abundant today we come to this 17th chapter of exodus and even though God has protected these Israelites and provided for them, they come to a, a place here in the desert where they're expecting there's going to be water and there is none. And rather than remembering all that Moses has sacrificed and how he's led them every step of the way and how God has been with them, they take issue with God once again and attack Moses. You heard it in Verse 3, when they say to Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? One more time, instead of trusting in God, they turn and go on the attack. And as I was reading over that this week, I find myself getting frustrated with them for being so slow to trust God. Until I began to think, maybe it's not just their story, maybe it's our story as well. Maybe we are slow to entrust our whole lives to God. To trust God even in times when things are not going the way we had hoped, even when life is not working out the way we had planned. I ran across a phrase in this text as I was reading over and over again these seven verses. I never noticed it before, but it kind of struck me this time and perhaps can help us understand who these people are and how they're developing this relationship with God in a way that applies to us as well. It was in that very first verse we read. It says, the Israelites journeyed by stages 
The whole first verse reads from the wilderness of sin or some places says Sinai, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They journeyed by stages. They took a step at a time, I think you could say. They're moving along. They're not where I want them to be. They're not where God wants them to be. But perhaps they're making progress as the Israelites journeyed in stages. Now, this is certainly a geographical description of how God is leading them. But I began to think as I read over and over this, maybe there's more here than just the geography. Perhaps there's an insight here about all of us and how we grow in faith by stages as we learn to trust and follow God. Perhaps we grow when we learn to listen and look and watch and trust that God is indeed leading us. If you read through this text, they are complaining to God and they move, it says, to quarreling with God. And maybe that, even though a little progress, maybe that's progress. Instead of just complaining about God, at least they recognize there is a God and they're in a relationship with this God and they're quarreling with God. And maybe when they get to do this question of why, that's even another step in their growth. Even though they say, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children? and livestock with thirst it's cast in a very negative tone in a very derogatory way but perhaps what we're seeing is a people who have lived under the yoke of slavery for so long that their only way of responding is complaint for they had no power before they had no justice or due recourse for their complaints and so all they know maybe is to complain when things are not going well but perhaps these questions of why signal a glimpse of them wanting to understand wanting to learn more about this God wanting to know who God is and you might remember from the verses we read last week when we got to the question of why is God so generous and so patient with these people, God said it was because I want them to know I am their Lord. I am the Lord their God. God wants to know these people, but God also wants the people to know about the divine purpose and will and character. And so God is very patient and working with them, and perhaps this is a step in that growth, even this question at the end in verse 7, is the Lord among us or not? At least signals a recognition that they know that there is a God. And they're wondering, does this God care about us? Is this God really with us? And perhaps that's a question most of us have asked one time or another in our lives, is the Lord among us or not? Is God really with us? Is God really at work? But this text affirms, just like all these other stories out of the Exodus, 
that God is faithful. It does tell us that they find water. God directs Moses to lead them to a place where in fact they do find water. And God is shown to be faithful once again. Over and over, we have these testimonies of God's faithfulness to the people despite their complaining and quarreling and struggle to believe. But as I think about that and look at my own life, I know that I have grown by stages, sometimes moving ahead, other times falling back, sometimes trusting mightily, other times questioning whether or not God is really there. I think we often struggle to understand or trust God in our own lives. We are on a journey just as these Hebrew people are, wondering, is God really there? Is God really leading? Truly, can I trust this God in all circumstances? We wonder, is the Lord among us or not? I've been telling you these stories about Francis of Assisi as a way to elucidate this journey of following God, of committing our whole lives to Christ under the authority of God. And I've told you how he went through these different experiences till finally he decided that he would trust God for all things and he was going from town to town preaching wearing just this rough, unadorned tunic. He had even given away his staff and his sandals and was going from place to place to preach the love of God for all people. And even though he was living such an austere life, somehow it was magnetic to people. And people began to ask if they could be his followers, if they could be his disciples. As the years passed, so many of them came. Finally, they decided they had to organize themselves into an order. It was the custom of the Roman Catholic Church that if you had a whole group of people living out their Christian life in a certain way, that they'd be organized into an order. So the Franciscans get organized. Their chief characteristics are material poverty, a vow of poverty and humility. As they begin to organize, Francis puts some others in charge as he continues to travel. But when he comes back around to where he's established some of these groups of monks now living together, he realizes, even though he has not been gone that long, that they're already gaining wealth, that they're already beginning to develop property. He is so unhappy with them. He takes this as a betrayal of their vow and of his calling. He begins to contend with them and argue with them. But before very long, he realizes this is bigger than he is. And even though he counted it as a betrayal, he turns over the leadership of the orders to others among the Franciscans. And he continues to move from town to town to preach this love of God for all people. He continues to look for ways to connect people with the living God. And he gets this idea once a few days before Christmas. He tells a friend that he would like to see what it was like when Jesus was born. He gets this idea that he wanted to construct the scene of the birth of Jesus in all of its humility as he understood it to be 
Jesus being born in a stable among the animals. One of his friends writes down what Francis said to him just before Christmas in the year 1223. He quotes Francis as saying, I would like to make a kind of living representation of the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem so as to witness with the eyes of the body the humility of the incarnation and see him lying on a manger between the ox and the donkey. So Francis begins to work on that with his friends. And they celebrate an outdoor mass on Christmas Eve, 1223. And they invite everyone in the area to come and ask the neighboring farmers to bring their animals, which they do. And they have a wonderful Christmas celebration. And Francis preaches about the mystery of Christ. And people responded with great wonder and joy of reliving this experience as of Jesus being born in the manger or the crash, which is related to our word cradle in such a humble human circumstance. And it's amazing to me that now some 800 years later, still we are building a crash scene on Christmas Eve at Boston Avenue to celebrate Christmas. And not only us, but churches all around the globe using this idea from Francis of Assisi to help people draw closer to God. Such wonder and joy being spread by this one idea Francis had so many years ago. Even though Francis experienced the downside of life with betrayal and struggles and conflicts, I think it's safe to say that Francis embodied our prayer phrase that we're using this morning, where there is sadness, joy. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. And where there is sadness, let me sow joy. Let me share and plant and spread joy to others. From the time of his conversion, Francis sought to live a life as God's instrument. He wanted to be an instrument in God's hand. So once he experienced the love of God, then he offered his life back to God and said, Use me as you will. Send me where you will. Inhabit me. Flow through me. Let me be an instrument of yours. You can hear it, I think. In the second half of this prayer that's attributed to him, where it's written, O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. It is the mystery and the paradox of the gospel. That a humble life offered to God somehow becomes a center of God's love that radiates God's power and presence to others. 
Certainly it happened through Francis, but it's not just Francis. It could be you or me offering our life up to God, asking God to use us, to utilize us as an instrument for good in the world. That's why I've been encouraging you to use this prayer, to think of this prayer phrase, Lord, make me an instrument of yours. Because magnificent things happen when we offer our lives to God. When we invite God to be the one who shows us the way and leads us through our lives. And the beautiful promise that's in our text today, when the people are wondering, is the Lord among us? God says to Moses, I'll be standing right there in front of you. And that promise goes for all of us as well. When we offer our lives to God, God says, I will be there. I'll be standing right there in front of you. You can count on it. Amen. Thanks be to God.